Amen. And Lord, we thank you that, that you are more than a distant, faraway God, but Lord, that our, you're our Lord, our God, our Savior, our King, and, and our friend. Lord, I just pray tonight as we go to your word, that you minister to every heart that is here, that Lord, we would remember the Lord, that our eyes would be focused on you, that we would desire to know you in a more intimate and a personal way. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray, and all God's people said... Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome again to Calvary Santa Cruz. If you don't have a Bible, please raise your hand and we'll get you one because you will need one tonight. If you do have your Bible, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 9, continuing our verse-by-verse study through the Old Testament. Uh, I'm not changing the dress code here. I forgot my dress clothes this morning. I left it at the crack of dawn and here it is. So man looks on the outward appearance and God looks on the heart, so forget what I'm wearing, all right? All right. Well, Daniel chapter 9, or Daniel... Deuteronomy chapter 9. I left my brain in my, other, in my dress clothes. Okay. But Deuteronomy is the second giving of the laws we've been talking about. And Moses is preparing that next generation to, to enter into the land of promise. And he's reminding them all that God had done for them. How he had delivered them out of bondage in Egypt. How he delivered them from their enemies. How the previous generation had faithlessly refused to enter into the land of promise. They'd sent spies into the land out of fear and out of a lack of faith and refused to enter in, and it resulted in a 40-year death march. What he's doing is he's telling the next generation, look, we, you don't have to fall into the same trap that the previous generation did. They missed out on God's highest because they were faithless, they didn't trust the Lord's word, and because of it, they, didn't, they never entered into God's highest. I believe there's so much application for us as believers today, because we too, many of us, are missing out on God's highest because we don't have enough faith to truly step out and do all that God wants to do with us. And so... He's telling this next generation, he's preparing them. And he tells them that, that God is a God of love and grace and mercy, but he's also a God of righteous judgment. And that all who faithlessly rejected his word and heeded the words of the spies missed out on God's highest and they died in the wilderness. But at the same time, he was telling them about God's grace and that he continued to lead them even in the wilderness. He continued to drop manna from the sky even in the wilderness. He continued to bring water from the rock and to protect them even though he'd already judged them. It tells me that even when I'm walking in disobedience to God, he still loves me. Now it breaks his heart, and I break fellowship with him, and I miss out on God's highest, but nothing can separate you from the love of God. And you need to remember that and understand that, that no matter what you've done, the Lord still loves you. And he doesn't love you more when you're, when you're good and love you less when you're bad, but it breaks his heart that you're missing out on intimacy with him. With the death of the entire previous generation, the next generation faithfully faced and defeated some of the very same people. I'm catching you up here. And what had happened was they went in and they had the same challenges, but this time they listened to the Word of God. And they defeated the very same kingdoms that the previous generation had been afraid of. They went into battle with the king of Sion and the king of Og and defeated over 60 cities. They had faithfully fought and destroyed armies greater than them, but they had to step out in faith to do it. Sadly, not all would enter into the, to the land. If you guys remember, two and a half tribes, remember after they wiped out Sihon and Og, two and a half tribes said, hey, this land right here is sweet. I don't want to have to go into the land of promise and cross over the Jordan and fight some more enemies. Let's just stay here. You know, the real estate's cheap out here. It's a lot nicer place. It would be great for the cattle. You know, why do we have to do, be totally sold out for God? 
I mean, can't we just be kind of sold out? You know, as long as I'm going to heaven, can't I just really be focused on my life here and give God a couple hours a week? I mean, you know, that's more than most people do, right? But, you know, here's the reality, you guys. It's not about having a Sunday morning and Wednesday night relationship with the Lord. It's 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Amen? Aren't you glad He's with you 24 hours a day, seven days a week? And He wants us to be with Him. He wants us to seek after Him. He wants us to have a heart for Him. And sadly, two and a half tribes missed out. And as we've talked about on numerous occasions, that those, the cattle turned to pigs. Because later when you see in Jesus' day, the Gadarenes, right? What were they herding? Pigs. And if you're Jewish, herding pigs, it's not good because they don't eat pork, right? So the cattle turned to pigs because they didn't go after God's highest. And I believe the same is true for us, that we'll miss out on the great blessings God has for us if we settle for less than His highest. Looking at the world through physical eyes would keep them from God's highest because they were afraid of what was on the other side of the Jordan. They were afraid to enter in to yet more, quote, danger. And Moses was not able to enter in, and we know why he was not able to enter in, because he did what? What did he do? He smote the rock. He was supposed to speak to the rock, and he misrepresented God as being angry with his people when he was not angry. And God said, because of that, Moses, you're not going to enter in. And we've talked about that numerous times again, that, boy, that just doesn't seem fair. Here he is hanging out with three million people for 40 years, four, you know, three million whiners. He's being a pastor to them. He's interceding on their behalf, and he makes one mistake. But you know what? I believe that God is showing us clearly that those who represent God are held to a higher level of accountability. Those who speak on His behalf, those who teach His Word, those who are in those positions of authority in the body, that there's heavy accountability that comes with it. And we need to take heed lest we fall. So Moses, again, missed out. Now in Deuteronomy 4, he said, Listen to the statutes and judgments which I teach you to observe, that you may go in and possess the land. You shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take from it. You know what? A lot of people need to hear that today. Don't add to the Bible or take from it. God's Word is sufficient. Amen? He also tells them, Take heed to yourselves and diligently keep yourself, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, lest they depart from your heart and all the days of your life and teach them to your children and grandchildren. You know what? One of the things that you, you see a lot in this, in this uh, book is remember and listen. Take heed. Remember. Don't forget. Take heed. Remember. Don't forget. Sixteen times he says, remember the Lord your God. Why does he have to tell them in one speech, sixteen times, remember the Lord your God? Because they forget. And the same is true of us. You know, I, I had someone tell me not too long ago, well, I don't need to come to church on Sundays, Pastor Dave, because I've already been through the New Testament. So I'm just going to come on Wednesdays and go, I'm like, wait a minute. We're not reading Moby Dick, all right? This is the Bible, amen? And then, you know what? It's the living, breathing Word of God, and we need to be in it every single day, amen? And faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God, and that's how we grow, and the reality is that we need to be spending more time in the Word. We need to be seeking His face, and if we don't, our walk with God will diminish. And this is what He's telling them, is look, take heed, don't forget, remember, listen, and God would tell us the same thing tonight. Moses reminded them of when they stood before Mount Sinai and they were in God's presence with fire upon the mountain. This to me is one of the most incredible sights in all of the Bible. Can you imagine? You come out of bondage in Egypt, you've been delivered, you've crossed over the Red Sea, you come to Mount Sinai and God shows up. Almighty God comes down onto the mountain. The whole earth began to shake. When God shows up, everything shakes, okay? Because He's God. 
And we'll see in the text later that, that the, His glory shone up into the heavens and they heard Him speak audibly. And when they heard Him speak audibly, they were so afraid that they said, Moses, you go talk to Him from now on because if He comes out one more time, we're all going to die. And God was teaching them to fear Him, to have reverence for Him. And that when, you know, when God shows up, we need to listen. I find it interesting that when God showed up at Sinai, the whole earth shook. When Jesus was crucified, the whole earth shook. And when the Holy Spirit was given, the place where they were shook. Amen? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and all three times the place was shaken. It's interesting that when they gave the Ten Commandments, that 3,000 souls died that day when the law was given. And how many people were saved when the Holy Spirit was given? 3,000. The Bible fits perfect. But we see here that he's reminding them of the previous generation, how they literally stood there and saw God, right? Didn't, didn't actually see Him, but saw a representation of His presence. But they heard His audible voice. And He spoke the Ten Commandments to them very clearly. And they heard it. And then they were so afraid, they said, Moses, from now on, you be the one, because the Lord your God is a consuming fire. You know, He's a jealous God. And you know what? You go up and you talk to Him, because if we stay near Him, oh man, he's, oh, we'll die. We can't take it. In chapter 5, Moses goes up and gets the Ten Commandments. And we re he reviews the Ten Commandments with them in chapter 5 and tells them what the Ten Commandments are. In Deuteronomy 5, it says, Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep my commandments that it may be well with them and their children forever. You want things to be well in your home? Keep God's Word. You know, again, we need to not be running so loose with the Word of God. You know, God's Word is not t the Ten Suggestions, it's the Ten Commandments, amen? And God's Word should be something that we hide in our heart that we might not sin against Him. And it's not okay just to have pet sins that we hold on to. God desires that we turn from them. In chapter 6 of Deuteronomy, He talked about the greatest commandment. It's called the Shema, right? Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Again, hear, O Israel. He says that repeatedly. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And he tells them, make sure you teach the word to your children. Teach them as you sit in the house, as you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. And then he said, when you're eaten and you're full, beware that you do not forget the Lord. You're going to see this constant theme in Deuteronomy. Remember, hear, listen. Don't forget the Lord. Why? The previous generation had and they missed out on God's highest. You know what's interesting in the Bible? That so often where you see revival is when the Bible or the Word of God has been lost and they find it again. King Josiah rediscovers the Bible, he teaches it, they tear down all the idols and they turn back toward God. And I believe we're living in a time right now where the Word of God is getting less and less emphasis. Even in the church. People would rather teach you, as you've heard me say, three steps to financial freedom or five keys to joy or seven ways to overcome your anger or Beaver doesn't live here anymore in the series or whatever it might be, right? Instead of just teaching you the Bible. And if they do teach the Bible, it's half a verse with a whole bunch of stories. If I ever teach you one verse for an hour, kick me out of here. You have my permission. You know why? Because if I'm teaching an, a, a verse for an hour, there's too much Dave. There needs to be more of the Word and less of my opinion. You don't need to hear fishing stories and everything. You need to hear the Bible. Amen? Because that's what will transform your life. And he's telling them, you need to take this to your home and teach it to your children. And when you've eaten and are full and are satisfied, don't forget the Word. 
And then he said, you shall not go after other gods, the gods of the people around you. For your Lord your God is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be aroused against you and destroy you from the face of the earth. Do what is right in the sight of the Lord and it will be well with you. And then lastly, when we get to chapter 7, he tells them, do not be joined to the world. He says, don't take sons for your daughters from the world. Don't take daughters for your sons from the world. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers because if you are, they will drag you off into idol worship. Can I tell you that if you're a single adult in here and you're not married yet, obviously if you're single, okay, but you're not married yet or you're not engaged, wait for the person God has for you. Does God love you? Does He know what's best for you? Trust Him, Amen. And I, can I tell you, that's one of the biggest things that people struggle with. They try to find a way to make it okay to date someone who's not walking with God. And I promise you that if you do that, you will reap the benefits or the, the pitfalls of it during your marriage. Honor God before your marriage so that you can honor Him in your marriage. And He told them, when you go into the land, don't, don't date the people that are there. Destroy their, destroy their idols. And then last week, we talked about matters of the heart. He reminded the children of Israel, when they go into the land of promise, that they were to, again, keep their eyes on God. He said, remember the Lord your God, all that He has delivered you from, to have humble and desperate hearts for Him. Feed on His Word every day. Don't allow your physical prosperity to give you spiritual amnesia. So, here's what we're going to see again tonight, and this is what we've heard Him say so far. Remember the Lord your God. Remember His commandments and statutes. Remember all He has delivered you from. Remember all that He has done for you. And again, 16 times in Deuteronomy, He says this over and over. And if He says it to them 16 times, then we need to hear it too. Remember the Lord your God. Because the children of Israel tended to forget God's commands. They tended to forget God's judgment. They tended to forget God's power. They tended to forget God's deliverance. And because of that, because of their circumstances, they would start forgetting what the Bible said or or what Moses had taught them or what they had been clearly spoken to them by God on Mount Sinai. They look at their circumstances and just forget about the Bible. How many of you have ever done that? Lying is a sin. How many of you have ever done that? Okay. You know, here's the reality. We get caught up in our circumstances, right? And we're living life and we're doing that stuff that we do and all of a sudden, you know, we get caught up in something because we haven't spent time in the Word lately. And we haven't been seeking God's face. And we didn't pray this morning and say, God, God, guide and direct and lead my day. And we're not being able to clearly hear the Holy Spirit because we're not walking in intimacy with God. And then we compromise. And that's exactly what happened to the children of Israel. They got far away from the Lord because they got caught up in their circumstances and they forgot His command and acted according to their own desires. They forgot His judgment and would live sinful lives without the fear of God. They forgot His power and they would fear circumstances more than they feared the Lord. And they forgot His deliverance, even asking to go back. Remember that? Can we go back? You know, for 400 years we asked you to get us out. Now that you have, you know, we're tired of manna. Take us back. We want to go back to the beatings. We want to go back to the bondage. We want to go back to the slavery. But it's interesting to me that sometimes as Christians, we look back with fondness at our unsaved life. Oh, I remember, man. It was great to go out and party, man. I missed that. Oh, man, that's the enemy right there, amen? Because you remember the, you know, you have a selective memory. You have a selective memory. You remember the, quote, fun, because sin is fun for a season, but you forget the puking, right? You forget the hangover the next day. You forget when you made a, a total idiot out of yourself. 
You forget the DUI. You forget when you lost the job because you didn't go to work on time. You forget all the stuff that sin, the consequences of sin, because Satan wants us to have a selective memory. And the same is happening with the children of Israel. They would remember, you know, oh, the selective things about Egypt, but they forget the beatings and the slavery. And may you and I not fall into the same trap as the children of Israel. May we not forget God's commands and live according to our desires. May we not forget God's judgment and have little concern about the sin in our lives. May we not forget God's power and fear our circumstances instead of fearing God. And may we not forget God's deliverance, what He has done for us. So too, just as Israel needed to be reminded of all that God had done for them, so do we. We need to be reminded of his, of his character and His commands. And that's why we're called to spend time in the Word every day. To be in fellowship, to be in prayer, to use our spiritual gifts, to observe communion, to worship Him daily. Not to just know about God, but to walk in intimacy with Him. So the title of the message tonight is Remember the Lord Your God. We're going to talk about three things. Remember His power, remember His promise, and remember His grace. So let's begin by looking at remembering His power in verse 1 of Deuteronomy 9. Hear, O Israel. Fifth time, Moses has used this term in Deuteronomy, each time drawing attention and significance to what he's about to say. In a sense, he's saying, listen up. You know, I've been talking to you guys because this is really one long message, Deuteronomy. And a few times he would just stop and say, hear, O Israel. Listen up. What I'm about to tell you, tell you, don't miss this. You shouldn't miss any of it because it's all of God's Word, but I really want you to pay attention to what I'm about to say. It's interesting. The first three times he said, Hear, O Israel, he reminded them to follow the commandments of the Lord. The fourth time he said, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now this time he says, Hear, O Israel, you are to cross over the Jordan today and go into the into dispossess nations greater and mightier, mightier than yourself, cities great and fortified up to heaven. Now, it's going to require faith to go into the land. You're going to cross over the Jordan. You need to hear what I've told you. You need to listen to my words. The previous generation was told the same thing, and they said, no, we're not doing it. Now, another thing, again, can I encourage you? We've all done it. And, I, and I, I'll be honest with you, nothing frustrates me more sometimes when I'm talking to somebody, when they'll say, yeah, I know the Bible says it, I'm just not going to do it. Now, what do I say to that? Yeah, the Bible says it, you're right. I'm supposed to, yeah, you're right. I'm just not going to. Man. Now, you've got to harden your heart pretty hard toward God and just say, yeah, I don't care. I really don't care. Yeah, that's right, the Bible says it. Yeah, I know I used to believe it. No, I do believe it, but, you know, and I'll, I'll face the consequences, but I just want to do it anyway. Man. Because the reality is that sin does have consequences. And it breaks my heart because it's kind of like, you know, my kids juggling knives in the kitchen. And I'm telling them, look, you're going to lose a finger. Yeah, I know, but this is fun, right? You're going to, guys, you're going to catch the blade at some point. Yeah, I know, you know, right? And then you catch the blade and chop the finger off and somehow it's God's fault, right? Lord, how did you let this happen to me? And sadly, too often people do that. They know it's contrary to the Word of God, and they do it anyway. And he's telling them, go over to the land. Your, the previous generation said, we know what the Bible said. We know what we've been told. We know that, that we're told to go in, but man, there's giants over there. I'm not going. Me either. Me either. I'm not going. I, let's go. We're out of here. And so that worked out real well, didn't it? Forty years wandering in the wilderness, all dropping dead. I'm thinking that was the wrong decision, Right? 
land flowing with milk and honey or back out having manna sandwiches for 40 years. It's up to you, right? Do you want the milk and honey? Do you want the blessings of obedience? Then be obedient. And so he tells this next generation with great urgency, look guys, you're going to go in. There's going to be enemies waiting for you. Nations greater and mightier than yourself. Cities great and fortified. Look what it says there. Fortified up to heaven. Now this is worse than what the ten spies came back with, right? The ten spies said, oh, there's giants in the land. The Lord makes it real clear. Oh yeah, there's giants. And by the way, they got cities with walls fortified up to heaven. So get ready, right? And you know what I love about the word? God never waters it down for anybody. Amen? But yet people want us to water it down when we share our faith. Do it in love, but don't water it down. Why do you water down the truth? Why are you rounding off the edges? Why are you making try to people figure out what you might be trying to say? Just tell them, amen? I've never been accused of watering it down. But here's the thing. We just want to tell them the truth. Because I don't want you guys walking out going, what was Pastor Dave trying to tell us tonight? I mean, it's kind of a parable or something. What was that about? You should know what the Word says. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And he said, guys, the nations are going to be huge. The armies are going to be huge. And you know what? You've got a battle in front of you. But I want you to go anyway. You know what? It's real easy when we don't think there's a battle in front of us. It's a lot harder when we know that stepping out is going to result in, in obstacles. While obedience does produce blessing, and it will, a land flowing with milk and honey, it will not always be free of obstacles. Do you know that obstacles and difficulty, another word for that would be a test. A test is an opportunity for you to grow. If there were no test, you wouldn't grow. You grow because you go through difficulty. It increases our faith. It produces a testimony. And again, walking in obedience to God doesn't mean our lives will be without any trials or difficulty. On the contrary, the Bible says, in the world you will have what? Tribulation. So, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. In James 1, he says, count it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into various what? Not if you fall into various trials, when you fall. If you're not in a trial right now, get ready. Because it's coming, okay? But again, it's an opportunity for us to grow. So he lets them know right up front, guys. Giants, huge cities, and I want you to go anyway. I hope you don't take this wrong, but that's kind of how I felt when Pastor Don told me I was coming to Santa Cruz. I went into his office and I said, Pastor Don, I, I, I know the Lord's told me it's time for me to go, and I'm submitted to you. You're my pastor. Wherever you tell me to go, that's where I'm going to go. I said, if you tell me Beijing, China, then we're going, that's where we're going. And Pastor Don spent a lot of time traveling, and there was little Bible studies all over the place looking for a Calvary pastor. He talked about a place in North Carolina and different, wherever he said I was going to go. And then he said, well, you know what, Dave? As I've prayed about it, the place I really feel like the Lord tells me you need to go is Santa Cruz. I, oh, I can't go there. <laughs> I can't go there. I grew up over there. Are you kidding me? Right? But the reality is that we know that Santa Cruz is not the most godly place on the planet. If you don't know that, you haven't been living here very long. Amen? But you know what? At the same time, where is the best place to take the halogen light? To the darkest place around. Amen? Find a place where nobody is shining a light and go shine your light there. And what, he's, what happens is we know that when we go where the greatest blessings are, often it's going to be where the greatest obstacles are. And he's saying, guys, land of promise. I promised it to you. But doesn't mean you're just going to go in there and have no, no static. You're going to get there, and there are going to be enemies waiting for you. Verse 2. Uh, not only fortified cities, but a people great and tall, descendants of Anakim, whom you know, and of whom you've heard it said, 
Who can stand before the descendants of Anak? Who said that? The previous generation. The ones who wimped out and didn't go in. Oh, well, God told us to go, but who can stand against Anak, right? Yeah, God told me to go to Santa Cruz, but man, who can plant a Bible-preaching church over there? Forget it, right? I mean, we could do that. We can just run away and just go, well, send me to the Bible Belt. Just send me where all the, you know, everybody's already a Christian, and we'll just go out there. It'll be easy, right? But he's saying, no, I have a plan for you. I want you to go in. There's going to be giants there. There's going to be walls up to heaven. God knew what was before them, and God still told them to go. God knows what's in front of you. He knows every trial you're going to face, and He's going to allow you to go through them that you might grow and that you might be a testimony to a lost and a dying world. So that's why we should count it all joy when we fall into various trials, knowing that at the end of it, I will be closer to God than when I began. Amen? Now I go around the room, some of you, you lost your job, or you went through a health situation, or you had different things that went on in your life, and at the beginning of it, you thought, man, what a bummer. But when you came out the other side, you said, man, I could see God's hand. And, and what a great opportunity I had to witness to so many different people. And again, he didn't paint a false picture for Israel. He prepared them to go in, letting them know that there was going to be a battle before them, a seemingly impossible battle. You've heard me say it. You plus God the majority. If God is for us, who can be against us? You plus God is the majority. If you're the only one on your campus that loves God, but God, know that God is with you, you're the majority. You plus God in your neighborhood. You plus God in your workplace. And these guys plus God fighting all the enemies there were because God was on their side. Verse 3. Therefore understand today that the Lord your God is He who goes over before you as a consuming fire. He will destroy them and bring them down before you so you shall drive them out and destroy them quickly as the Lord has said to you. Now I love this. God assured His people that there was no need to fear the seemingly unbeatable enemy as he would go before them and destroy them. Remember when he appeared to them on Mount Sinai, he came as a what? Fire. He says he goes in as a consuming fire. When Moses saw God, it was in a what? A burning bush, right? Fire. He's a consuming fire, consuming everything, sucking up the oxygen, everything that is there. And he says, I'm going to go in before you and I'm going to wipe out the enemy. But I want you to see this. He says there, I will destroy them and bring them before you, so you shall drive them out. So who's, wait a minute, is God going to take care of it, or are the children of Israel going to do it? The answer is both. God's going to go in before them, He's the consuming fire, but then He still wants them to drive them out. God didn't do it instead of them, they had to do their part. God would bring them down, but Israel would have to drive them out. And we need to be not fear the insurmountable problems that we have in life. We need to trust God's power, but we also need to be willing to let God use us too. Lord, go before me, but then use me when I get there. I truly believe that God came before us to Santa Cruz and prepared hearts for us to come, but He expects me to show up. He doesn't expect me to sit in my living room in San Jose where I used to live and go, well, God, I hope you're doing a good work over there. Hope it's working out, right? No, God wants, God goes before us, but God wants us to follow closely with Him and be willing to let Him use us. God is greater than any problem, and He goes before us. If God is for us, who can be against us? It's important that you and I remember God's power. Remember His power. He's greater than you think. No matter how awesome you think God is, He's way more awesome than that. However powerful you think He is, He's way more powerful than that. 
not only do we remember his power, or did the ch- should the children of Israel remember his power, but they should also remember his promise. Verse 4. Do not think in your heart. Yeah, this is where all sin begins. Sin begins in your heart. Sin begins in your mind. It begins inwardly before it comes outwardly. The Bible says, out of the overflowing of a man's heart, his mouth speaks. So every word runs through your heart and through your mind before it comes out of your mouth. It cracks me up. People say, that slipped out. No, it didn't. You thought about it. It went through your heart, and you said it on purpose, right? Amen? And the reality is, it's a reflection of what's inside. And he says to them, do not think in your heart. That's where pride begins. That's where we respond to temptation. And again, there's a temptation to attribute God's blessings as a result of our righteousness. Look what he says there. Do not think in your heart after the Lord your God has cast them out before you, saying, because of my righteousness, the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. But it's because of their wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. May we never make the mistake to think, to think that God's blessing upon our life somehow means it's because of our good works or our righteousness. The Bible says our righteousness is as what? Filthy rags. And sadly, we see people today that walk around being arrogant about how holy they are or how righteous they are. Well, God, you know, God's doing this for me because I really serve Him. I mean, I'm a servant. You want to find us? Just follow me around. You'll find out what, you know what I mean? And you get people like that where they're spiritually arrogant. I got an email from a guy today and it was just killing me. The guy emails me and he's so arrogant in his email, it's nauseating. He keeps telling me, if you understood Greek like I do, then you would, you know, and and I'm just like, this guy is both ignorant and arrogant. Because he told me about four things in there that are absolutely wrong, but yet he's arrogant in his ignorance. And you know what happens? We get puffed up because we know a little bit. And we think, well, we know everything. Here's the reality. All of us only know a little bit compared to God. Amen? And we need to remain desperate for Him and seeking His face because without Him we can do nothing. And if we ever get to the point where we think we've arrived, take heed lest ye fall. We need to continually be on our knees and seeking God. He says, look, don't ever think in your heart, oh, God's blessing me, I must be really righteous. That's me. I, I knew it. I knew that. I knew that, man, I, when I did this and that, it would pay off. Man, sweet. Look at me, right? I mean, man, don't look at me. Look at Him. Amen? We should be the, the moon reflecting the sun. Verse 5. And he says there, it is not because of your righteousness or uprightness of your heart that you go on and possess their land, but because of the wickedness of the nations that the Lord your God drives them out before you, that he may fulfill the word which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He says, I'm removing them because they're wicked, and I'm doing this because I'm being faithful to my word. It's not my righteousness, but God's will that is being done. Amen? It's for God's purposes, not because I'm so holy. God's grace towards Israel, His unmerited favor, was also God's righteous judgment toward Canaan. Now, people struggle when they see that God goes in and wipes out people. People say to me, I don't like the God of the Old Testament. Well, by the way, it's the same God. We didn't change gods we got halfway through the Bible. All right, we're in Matthew now, new God. That's not what happened, right? The reality is that the Old Testament are pictures of what we find to be true in the New Testament. And the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. The God who wiped out the Amalekites is the same God who hung on the cross out of His love for you. Amen? But the Amalekites and all these people were wiped out because they rejected God. 
Or as they used to say in the youth group, they gave them the Heisman, right? They said, no thanks, right? I'm not interested. You know, go away, God. I don't want you. I want to live my own life. I want to go my own way. And eventually, God gives them their will. Fine. Have your own way. And the same has happened here in the land of Canaan. All these people had had opportunity after opportunity, and they continued to reject God. And God now said, okay, I'm going to use you to come in and bring my judgment. Verse 6. Therefore, understand that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stiff-necked people. Now, if anybody was being arrogant, I think he just took care of it, right? Now, look, I'm not giving you this land because you, got, you guys are stiff-necked. You know where the term comes from? It's an animal that you put in a, a yoke, and it just refuses to be directed. It's being directed, and it just wants to just bang its neck against the wood, right? And it's just stubborn. And it want, instead of just going the way the master leads it, it would rather have splinters in its neck and a hurt neck, and I'm going whatever way I want to go. And he says, you guys are a bunch of, a bunch of yoked-up oxen who want to go in the wrong direction. You're, you're stubborn. You're stiff-necked. You guys are rebellious. And he said, so don't be taking credit for what I'm doing in your life. It's only because I promised it to the previous generation. And it's because I'm wiping out the wicked people before you, not because of your righteousness. God did not come down to deliver Israel because they were wonderful people. Again, they were stiff-necked. They would not submit to him. They were stubborn. They were hard-headed. God didn't save them because they were righteous. He saved them because He is righteous. Amen? God didn't save you because you cleaned up your act. Again, I witness to people and they'll say, when I quit drinking, I'll start coming to church. When I quit smoking, I'll quit, you know, when I quit sleeping with my girlfriend, when I get rid of my foul language, when I stop struggling with my gambling problem, when I, when I quit looking at pornography, when I quit, whatever their sin is. When I quit that, then I'll come to church. And I say, that is like saying i got to get cleaned up before I jump in the tub. That makes no sense. The reality is we come here because we struggle with sin. And we come here because this is a place where we get encouraged in our walk with God and we grow in our relationship with Him that helps us to walk in holiness before the Lord. Amen? You can't do it apart from Him. You must be desperate for Him. And so He's telling them, look, you're not righteous. There is none righteous, no, not one. And praise God for His promise that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And the Bible says if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, we will be what? Saved. So salvation comes from confessing Jesus, not doing good works. Again, you've heard me say this. It's not faith or works. It's not faith plus works. It's faith that works. If we have faith in God, the works will be a natural outpouring. But the works do not produce salvation. The faith in Christ produces good works and produces a transformed life. We have the promise of heaven, not because we've been righteous, but because of God's great grace. So, we remember God's power, we remember His promise, then we also need to remember His grace. Look at verse 7. Remember! Exclamation point. Again, a big theme of Deuteronomy. Remember, do not forget, he says. God's purpose in reminding Israel of their past rebellion against Him was not to discourage them, but so they would recognize their own weakness and trust in Him, not their own ability. You know what? If I look back and I'm reminded of the things I've done... By the way, you've been forgiven. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? So you've been forgiven. You're not condemned for your sin anymore. But at the same time, in some ways, I think it's good to remember that we've come from that. Because what it does is it helps us to keep from going back there. And realization that, you know what? I remember what that was like. It was not good. 
And I don't want to do that again. And it reminds them, look, here's what rebellion produced. Here's what disobedience from me produced. Remember, do not forget. Again, he wanted to remove any pride. He was warning them not to repeat what they had done in the past and the future. Take heed lest you fall into the same trap. God asked them to remember and not to forget. And he reminds them again and again and again. You know what's interesting? Right here he's telling them remember and don't forget. And guess what they're going to do? They're going to forget. Okay, verse 7, it says, Do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. From that day that you departed from the land of Egypt until you came to this place, you have been rebellious against the Lord. Now, we look at this and we think, man, God's being harsh. But let me ask you something. Do we see anywhere in Exodus where they were just having worship and just loving God totally? Is there a verse anywhere? And I told you guys that. Remember I said, man, Moses, that guy had the toughest job going. A church with three million whiners who all hated him. I mean, man, I don't want to pastor that church, right? You got three million people who all just wish you were dead. And they're all trying to get someone else to take your spot. They're always whining and moaning and murmuring. God just delivered him out of bondage. He went through the Red Sea and opened it up for him. He, got, he came down on the mountain and spoke clearly to them. And they're still rebelling. And you're thinking, man, what's wrong with these people? Well, it's the sin nature at work. And he said, don't forget the wrath in the wilderness. Don't forget the consequences of sin. Verse 8. Also in Horeb, or that's Mount, another name for Mount Sinai, you provoked the Lord to wrath so that the Lord was angry enough with you to have destroyed you. Now that's not good. If the Lord wants to destroy you, that's not good. I don't want the Lord to want to destroy me. Amen? I want the Lord to be blessed and, and I want to be a blessing to Him. And again, I'm never going to be perfect. But I, my desire is that I would worship Him and serve Him and honor Him. I want to make it real clear tonight. God hates sin. He hates it. Now, do we stop sinning when we're born again? What's the answer? No. We're not sinless, but we should sin less. Amen? And we should sin less. But the difference is now that when we sin, we're convicted. And we're driven to repentance. I often tell people the sign of spiritual maturity in somebody is the distance between, of time between when you sin and when you repent. And I think as we get more and more mature in our walk, it goes from you know, what could have been weeks to days to hours to minutes to moments. Amen? Where you sin and the words are not even out of your mouth and you get in the Holy Spirit head slap, right? You ever heard of that? That's conviction. If you're new here, that's, you know, that's Holy Spirit head slap. That's how I was convicted. Do you guys think my hair's gone? It's just the Lord... Just getting my attention, right? But the reality is that God loves us enough to convict us of sin to draw us back into right fellowship with Him. And He's telling them, don't forget, you know, at Mount Horeb, God was so grieved, you provoked Him to wrath, and He wanted to wipe you out. The wrath of God is a holy and consistent reaction to that which is contrary to God's will, nature, or law. It's a holy reaction that God wants to bring judgment upon us. What happened to Mount Sinai that got the Lord so upset? Let's read on. What, 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 what did they do? In what way did they take advantage of God's grace? Look at verse 9. When I went up into the mountain to receive the tablets of stone, this is Moses speaking, and the tablets of the covenant which the Lord God made with you, then I stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. I neither, eat, neither, neither ate bread nor drank water. So Moses goes on Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights. He's fasting, 
He's waiting upon the Lord. Now, what brought him there? I've talked about this. Remember, they've been delivered out of bondage. They go to Sinai. God shows up. He speaks to them, and he speaks the Ten Commandments. The first two commandments are, you shall what? Have no other God before me, and you shall make no graven image. And those are the first two things that come out of his mouth. He shares the Ten Commandments with them. They're so afraid they can't take it. Don't let him come here anymore. We're all going to die. So Moses, you go up on the mountain, and Moses goes up, and God is going to handwrite them the Ten Commandments and give them to him so he can take them back. So they heard his audible voice. They've seen the parting of the Red Sea. They saw the plagues. They saw that the gods in Egypt were worthless. Right? All the idols that, that in Egypt, they were calling on their gods. How did that work out for them? You had a plague, they call on their gods, we call on God, you lose. Every time, right? Over and over and over. Firstborn dies, they finally let you go. So, they're down at the bottom. They've heard the voice of God. They've seen the plagues, they've seen the Red Sea part. They, they saw His glory going all the way up into the heavens. And Moses goes up for 40 days, not 40 years. 40 days. 40 in the Bible is the number of what? Testing. Okay? So, they go up. And it's a time for them to be tested. And we know that, again, the people had trembled. They were afraid. So Moses goes up to Sinai to communicate with God to receive the Ten Commandments. Verse 10. Then the Lord delivered to me two tablets of stone written with the finger of God. Now think about that. God wrote with His finger. You know what's interesting? You, you see stuff, people sell stuff like autographs, right? You know, like an Abraham Lincoln autograph is worth like. I don't even know what it's worth. Tens of thousands of dollars, no doubt, right? I mean, an autographed baseball by, you know, Babe Ruth is worth tens of thousands of dollars, right? Can you imagine how much, how much would God's autograph be worth, right? How sweet would that be, right? He hand wrote the Ten Commandments, the finger of God. So he goes upon Mount Sinai. While he's there, God literally writes, communicates with him. He not only spoke audibly, but now he writes it in stone. And I believe the fact that it shows that his finger wrote it was saying, don't take my word lightly. I spoke it to you. Now I'm writing it with my own hands. Be reverent about it. And I want to deliver it to you so you don't forget it. It says there, Then he wrote with the finger of God, and on them were all the words which the Lord had spoken to them on the mountain from the midst of the fire in the day of assembly. Verse 11, And it came to pass at the end of forty days and forty nights that the Lord gave the two tablets of stone and the, ta- the tablets of the covenant. So again, 40 in number of testing. Moses faithfully waited upon the Lord for the 40 days, and Israel faithlessly rebelled against God. Verse 12. Then the Lord said to me, Arise, go down quickly from here, for your people whom you brought out of Egypt have acted corruptly. They have quickly turned aside from, which, from the way which I commanded them. They have made for themselves a what? A molded image. Now, all the way back up to verse 8, it says the Lord is angry enough to destroy you. Why? Because they made a molded image. Now, I love this part, because this reminds me of me and my wife sometimes. The Lord says, go down and quickly, your people whom you brought out of Egypt. This sounds like my house sometimes. Your son. I got a call from the teacher, and your son's getting an F in Spanish. You need to talk to him when he gets home. Right? And then the teacher calls, and this happened yesterday, it's an absolute fact. The teacher called me and told me that my son's devotion yesterday morning was so good that he must have copied it off the internet. Because in 25 years of teaching Bible in in middle school, she's never heard a uh, devotion that was as powerful as that one. 
And I said, well, I helped him with it, and I know for a fact he wrote it himself. So then he's my son. Getting an F? Your son. Right? And that's what's happening. God says, These pe- your people that you brought out of Egypt, go take care of them. God's disowning them, right? They're making golden calves. Now again, this blows me away because they heard His voice. They heard Him speak the first two commandments. They saw all the miracles. And what do they do in, in a month? He goes away and what do they do? They make a what? A golden calf. He said, no other gods before me, no graven image. And what's the first thing they do when Moses gets out of their sight? I know, let's make a cow. Let's make a golden cow. That'll be great, right? And what's interesting is, where did they fashion that from? From Egypt. Because in Egypt they had golden calves. And so they knew that the golden calves got whooped up on by God, right? They were there during the plagues. It didn't work out. They saw the Red Sea part. They saw God's presence. They heard His voice. And they still went and made a golden calf anyway. What's wrong with you guys, right? And God says, I'm done. That's it. I'm done. I, I'm, you know, your people, you go take care of them. Moses, just get down there. I, I'm, I'm so tired of the rebellion. Now look at verse 13. Furthermore, the Lord, spoke, the Lord spoke to me and said, I have seen this people, and indeed they are a what? Stiff-necked people. Now, if anybody was prideful at the beginning of this chapter, how are they feeling right about now? God's making it really clear. You forgot God. You guys got away from Him. You need to keep your eyes on God. You're a bunch of rebellious, stiff-necked people. Verse 14. Let me alone, this is God speaking, that I may destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven, and I will make of you a nation mightier and greater, greater than they. Now, if you get God mad at you, He can do whatever He wants. You know, if the guy down the street's mad at you, he's limited in what he can do, right? God can turn you into a pile of rocks. He can turn you into fraud. He can do whatever He wants. He's God, amen? Having God mad at you is not good. And so He says, you know what? I'm done. Go down there and just, I'm going to blot them out. Just let let me alone and I'm going to destroy them, Moses. And here's what I'm going to do, Moses. I'm going to start over with you. Now, you would think that Moses would be tempted, right? That sounds pretty good. Three million whiners, all gone? Not the seed of Abraham, the seed of Moses? Oh, that sounds pretty good. That means you're going to have, oh, that, yeah, I like that program, right? And there's got to be at least, you know, that fleshly part that would say, hey, that sounds really sweet. Let's go with that. Let's get rid of all the whiners, all these snivelers. Let's get them all out of here, these faithless, headache, murmuring whiners. Get them out of here. And the ones that go, did you lead us out here to die? I won't have to ever hear that that again. That'd be great. Get them out of here, right? No, Moses didn't do that. Because did God know he wasn't going to wipe out Israel when he made these statements? Of course he did. You know what he's doing? He had tested Israel and they failed. And now he's testing Moses. He's testing the heart of Moses. Because he says to them, Moses, I'll start over with you. What do you think? And I love this because Moses responds First with righteous anger, but then we're going to see the heart of a pastor when he's done. Verse 15. So I turned and came down from the mountain, and the mountain burned with fire, and the two tablets of the covenant were in my two hands. And I looked, and behold, you had sinned against the Lord your God, had made for yourselves a molded calf. You turned aside quickly from the way which the Lord had commanded you. Then I took the two tablets and threw them out of my two hands and broke them before your eyes. When Moses came down, you know what he saw? A drunken orgy, dancing around a golden calf. 
He is up in the presence of Almighty God. Can you imagine? There can be very... He, 40 days he hung out with God. He comes down and what's waiting for him? A drunken orgy around a golden calf. You know, how many of you have ever been on a retreat? You almost feel like that happens? You go away and you're just hanging out with the Lord and there's no distractions and God really ministers to your heart and you come home and there's golden calves in your front yard. Right? I mean, you know, there's stuff just going on when you get home. And Moses comes down and not only is there a golden calf there, not only is there a drunken orgy and they're worshiping this golden calf and, and we see righteous anger because what does he do? He throws it down. He throws it down. Why? Because his heart is broken. Because he realizes that they've, that they've fallen into sin. But look what he does. Here's Moses' test. How does he respond? Verse 18. And I fell down before the Lord as at the first. Forty days and forty nights I neither eat bread nor drank water because of all your sin which you committed in doing wickedness in the sight of the Lord to provoke Him to anger. For I was afraid of the anger and hot displeasure with which the Lord was angry with you to destroy you. But the Lord listened to me at that time also. Moses is a type of whom? Of Christ. Moses intercedes on behalf of the people. What is Jesus doing for you right now? He's interceding for you. And Moses shows the heart of a pastor in spite of the rebellion, in spite of all the wicked they have done. What does he do? He intercedes on their behalf. Forty more days. He was up 40 days worshiping. Now he's got 40 days interceding. He's coming before God and saying, you know what, Lord, you know, I know they've blown it, but they're your people. Lord, don't, don't wipe them out. Lord, let, you know what, I'll work with them. I know they're whiners now, but Lord, give me a chance, right? But the reality is that God knew he was not going to destroy them. He knew that he was testing Moses. It's interesting. They saw the fire, but no, Moses had experienced it. They saw the fire from a distance, but when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, what was his face doing? It was glowing. He had to put a veil over his face. Some see the fire from a distance, but others have it touch them personally. And when Moses came down, he had intimate fellowship with God. He didn't just know that there was a God up on the mountain. He'd been up on the mountain with God. And the same needs to be said of us, not just to know that there's a God on the mountain, but should we walk on the mountain with God, amen? Have intimate fellowship with Him. And Moses was afraid for his people, the heart of a pastor. He didn't say, sounds good, God, let's toast them all and start over with me. I like that. I can be the new patriarch. Instead of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it can be Mo and his sons. That sounds pretty good. I like that. But instead, he interceded on their behalf. And God knew that he was testing him, but he knew he was going to pass with flying colors. Verse 20, And the Lord was very angry with Aaron, and would have destroyed him, so I prayed for Aaron also at the same time. Aaron is Moses' what? His big brother. And my, my assistant pastors hate when I do this, but I'm going to anyway. Aaron was like his assistant pastor. So can you imagine I go down to the pastor's conference? Or I go to India on a missions trip and I come back and you guys have a golden calf up here? And you're all worshiping the golden calf? You're all fired, right? I mean, that's it. You're fired, right? Come up here. Now, what did Moses do? He didn't say, Aaron, you're fired. You're so fired. And you know what? You're done. And I knew you're a knucklehead. I grew up with you. I've seen it your whole life. I knew this, right? Bro, what were you thinking about? You don't see him do that. What does he do instead? I love this. The Lord was very angry, and I prayed for Aaron. Moses doesn't blast his brother. He intercedes for him. May we learn from this example 
The easiest thing to do is lash out at people. Moses didn't fire his brother even after he had lied. Because remember when he asked him, what happened here? What did Moses say? I don't know. I, I don't know. I was just standing here and that calf popped out. We threw gold in. I was, just, I was minding my own business. I was taking a nap, right? You know what I mean? He was trying to. And you know what? It says that Aaron fashioned the calf. He was up there hammering on it and fixing it. And his brother came. I don't know what happened, right? And we do that with God, don't we? It's like my little kids. It's amazing how things break in my house and nobody did it, right? And Aaron's like, oh, yeah, I don't know what happened. And he still didn't blast him. He prayed for him. He interceded on his behalf. May we learn, again, that while the Lord was very angry with him, I don't want that to be said of me. I don't want to provoke God to anger. But Moses, again, intercedes for his brother. Look how Moses deals with the calf. I like this. His brother made it. What did Moses do to it? Then I took your sin, the calf which you made, and burned it with fire, and crushed it, and ground it very small, until it was as fine as dust. And then I threw its dust into the brook that descended from the mountain. The word there for crushed it literally means stomped it out. So can you imagine this scene? They're all, uh, uh, right? And Moses comes down and grabs the calf and throws it in the fire, then gets it burnt, and then starts jumping up and down on it. And he's crushing it, and he's kicking it, and, he, and, he, and how long do you have to jump on something to turn it into dust? You think that people were thinking, oh, that was a mistake. I don't think we should have made that, right? You know what I mean? And the reality is, they see Moses, and they see his reaction, and they're like, whoa, we blew it. Now, not only the fact that that happened, but God also opened up the ground and swallowed 3,000 people. You remember that? Come to me, all you who want, and the ones who didn't, 3,000 of them got swallowed up in the ground. But Moses smashed the golden calf, the object of their sin, and his feelings about the idol could be seen thoroughly throughout all the people. And again, that's the way we ought to deal with our sin, you guys. We shouldn't hold on to it and take care of it. We should smash it. We should destroy it, because that's the Lord desires us to do. We're almost done. Verse 22. Also, at Taborah and Massa and and Kibroth Hadava, you provoked the Lord to wrath. Now, each of these places, they complained. Taborah is in Numbers 11. They complained about their journey. Do we have to keep walking? And the Lord heard it, and He was angered. And you know what He did? He brought fire into the camp, and the people that were on the fringes got smoked. Read it in Numbers 11. It's in the Bible. Then it says there, at Massa. At Massa means testing. They complained about the water. And they said, did you bring us out here, Moses, to kill us? We're all going to die out here. And the Lord was also angered by that. And then lastly, Kibroth Hadava, if you remember this story, it means graves of craving. And that was the place where they were complaining about manna, and they said, give us quail, give us quail. You guys remember that story? And they gave them quail, and what happened when they put the quail in their mouth? They all died. Everybody who ate quail died on the spot. Because they were not happy with what God had. They wanted their own way. They wanted their flesh fed. They were not satisfied with the Lord. God doesn't like it when we complain. Amen? You know what? When we complain, you know what we're doing? We're saying that God's not faithful. When we complain, we're saying God doesn't care. When we complain, we're saying God's not good. When we complain about our boss, we're saying God doesn't know, Romans 13, that he put this authority over me. And when we complain, what we're doing is we're portraying to the world around us that we're not satisfied in the Lord alone. And we murmur about physical things. And when they complained, God hated it. That's what it clearly says here in the text. Likewise, verse 23, When the Lord sent you from Kadesh Barnea, saying, Go up and possess the land which I have given you, then you rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God, and you did not believe Him nor obey His voice. Now again, this is where they were going to the land of promise, the ten spies came back, 
and they said, we're not going. We're just going to disobey God completely. And when we do that, we see that they did not obey His voice. It grieves the heart of God. You have been rebellious. You have been rebellious against the Lord from the day I knew you. Oh, Mr. Pride walking in here at the beginning of the chapter. How are you feeling right now, right? You're not going in because you're righteous. You're not holy. It's God who's holy. And you're stiff-necked. And you've been rebellious since the day I met you. You guys haven't changed. But you know what? This shows us God's grace. Because God's still bringing them into the land of promise. God is still going to bless them, even though they've been rebellious. Lastly, let's look at Moses' intercession. Thus I prostrated myself before the Lord. Forty days and forty nights, I kept prostrating myself before the Lord. Before, because the Lord had said, He would destroy, destroy you. Therefore I prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord God, do not destroy your people and your inheritance, whom you have redeemed through your greatness, whom you have brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do not look on the stubbornness of the people or on the wickedness of their sin, lest the land for which you, you brought us out should say, because the Lord was not able to bring them into the land He promised them, and because He hated them, He has brought them out to kill them in the wilderness. He goes before God and He says, for the sake of your people, don't destroy them. For the sake of your promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, don't destroy them. For the sake of your name, as a testimony to the Egyptians, don't destroy them. Verse 29, yet they are your people and your inheritance, whom you brought out by your mighty power and by your outstretched arm. You know what? Even though they're rebellious, they're His people. And even though we sin, we're His people. Amen? But we've been saved, not because we're righteous, not because we're good, not because we've been completely obedient, but because He is good. Now, should we walk in obedience? Yes. Should we remember God's power? Should we remember God's promises to us? He will never leave us nor forsake us. That He promises to give us eternal life if we will follow Him. And we should absolutely remember God's grace. So in closing, remember His power, that God is greater than any difficulty circumstance or enemy you will ever face remember his promise to bring you into the ultimate land of promise to bless us not because of our righteous or good works but because he is holy and faithful and remember god's grace that when we sin he intercedes on our behalf where sin abounds grace abounds much more that we cannot sin so much that god won't love us next time you're you feel defeated turn to the lord don't run from him amen Let's remember His power. Let's remember His his, his promises and remember His grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word and we thank You for the reminder to the children of Israel that's just as appropriate for us tonight. May we remember Your Word. May we be men and women who are hungry after You, who seek Your face every single day. Lord, I know that in my own life that there are times when we get so busy about doing the things of life that we, we take our eyes off of You. And even for a moment, it can cause us to rebel against you and to, to fall into sin and, Lord, to blow our testimony before a lost and dying world. Father, may we be men and women who are desperate for you, who begin our day with you, spend our day with you, and end our day with you. Lord, we love you and we praise you. We just thank you for your love and your grace. We're not worthy. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. let's stand and close the worship song.